you want to learn more about effective management, head over to madsingers.com and sign up for my free management training. Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Mass Signals Management Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Genesis Kemp. Welcome to the show, Genesis. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Excellent. Genesis, believe it or not, there's people around the world who still don't know who you are. Would you mind doing a quick introduction to the audience and tell them a little bit about yourself? Certainly. Hey, everyone. My name is Genesis Amaris Kemp. I am a visionary creative content writer, inclusion and diversity enthusiast, self-development advocate, and last but not least, I am the author of Chocolate Drop in Corporate America, From the Pit to the Palace, where I share about my trials and tribulations that help me overcome certain systemic racism as well as stigmas. And now I want to give you the tools necessary to be your authentic self, be unapologetically you, and overcome limitations and barriers that have been set on you. Awesome. I, I love that. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm also, and I have also been into personal development pretty much since I was 18. So that's definitely one of the things I'm, I'm a big fan of. So talk a lot about sort of purpose versus passion. Tell me a little bit more. Like how, how do you look at that? How do you help people find their passion? So for me, whenever I think about passion, passion is something that you love to do, that you can do it without getting paid. It's like a hobby, but then that hobby brings you fulfillment, joy, and it becomes part of who you are. And whenever you first start out with something, you have to do it a few times in order for it to really take um, take to you. So if you're like a skier and you like skiing and you want to make it a profession, a professional, you need to do it often. And then that will become part of who you are. Whereas purpose is something that has been rooted inside of you. It's part of your DNA and it's part of the skills talents and desires that you have inside of you and they may be dormant and sometimes you may need to practice self-care and self-awareness to really awake those senses so you could really live out your purpose and that's how I personally break down purpose versus passion and I believe your purpose and your passion may be different than mine. And that's perfectly okay because we're different people, but that does not mean that your purpose and passion can't complement mine. Totally. That makes a lot of sense. And I I actually remember like when I fell into my passion and I was already, I was lucky when I was already 18, right? Like I was heading down the route of IT and, um, studying IT and, and I got a job and, and literally within the first couple of months, like I, I got a boss that just inspired me so much. And I went from, I want to do something with IT to I want to do what she does, which was management. Um, and that was, I mean, I bumped into that by accident, if you will, but, but that was really, for me, that was definitely, it, it was nice to find something that I was so passionate about. And it was like, I, I didn't want to go back to school. I've never been a big fan of school, but I, I started like already at the age of 18, like very, very rigorous self-development to learn to be a good manager, right? And 
that's pretty much what shaped my life. So again, I, I don't necessarily know how others find their passion, but it's like the key thing, what I always tell people is get out there, do some things, try some things, right? Like a lot of people that I meet, they're like, they're sitting at home in the couch watching TV, trying to find their passion. And that's, <laughs> in my experience, it's not the right place to find it, right? Like you need to get out there. You need to try some things. You, you don't just make up and say, oh, you know, my passion is this thing. Like you, you have to experience stuff to find it. How does so, do you agree? And yeah. I do agree. And like one exercise that I tell people that ask me about how do I find my passion? I tell them, get a notepad out and write down a list of all the things that you're great at. And out of those things, where can you see yourself finding the most joy and fulfillment in doing? So sometimes you have to write things out in order to envision it. And it helps you hold yourself accountable because if you keep talking about it, but you don't put any actions behind what you're saying, then can you truly validate that that's something that you're passionate about? To me, it just sounds like you're just talking to be talking and you're wasting good breath. So you definitely have to, like you said, just get out there, but also make a game plan for yourself and don't wait on someone else to validate who you are. You can validate yourself by practicing self-care and self-awareness because you know yourself better than anyone else. Yeah, I, I love that. That's actually how I recommend people looking for jobs as well. Most of the time when, when people are looking for a job, you know, they're like, I want to be this, I want to be that. And I, I go the other way and I say, well, write down the things you like to do. And then look for, like, if you have three, four, five things, even for your current job or, you know, in general things you like to do. And I say, don't look for a job with a specific title. Look for jobs that comprehend of those three three or four of those five things and then try it out right because if you like love working with people you i don't know you you love playing with spreadsheets as well and so on like most people have a couple of things that they really enjoy doing right and if you if you instead of looking at a job title if you look at those things and then try and find jobs that comprehend most of those things in my experience that's a good way to find even new things that you might really like, right? So I guess that's the way to find some passion as well. Absolutely. Your negotiables versus your non-negotiables. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. So excellent. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I work with lots of sort of small business owners and, and most people, in my experience, when you start your own business, most people tend to be very passionate about it, which, which makes sense. Uh, and anything in terms of purpose that you feel sort of smaller business owners can do better in general? So purpose, I would definitely encourage small business owners to listen to feedback that they get, get from others, because I think feedback is a gift. You could take that feedback, whether good or bad, and you could build on it. And you can really analyze, okay, is this feedback pushing me to the next level? Or is this feedback going to cause me to shrink back? And whenever we hear feedback, sometimes people automatically think that someone is attacking them or, you know, they, they don't want them to, you know, succeed. But then if the same people are giving you the same feedback, then you can look at the underlining theme and the message and say, okay, 
this is an area that I need to work on. The second thing is to know your audience and know your market. Really compare your business to other businesses in a sense of, okay, this business over here is operating in this space and they're doing very well. Can I take any of those principles and apply it to my business, but not change my business plan, but just enhance it? Because you never want to change your business plan to fit someone else's because their business is their business and what works for them may not necessarily work for you. So you could grab bits and pieces and tweak it in order to complement your business and still be successful. Another thing I would do is continue to learn more about your field because the world is changing, society is changing. So you always want to stay ahead of the curve and know what your competitive advantage is. Yeah, I love that. I love that because I, I see so many business owners like either just trying to copy other people and, and sometimes in fairness that can work well, right? But the whole point is you need to have a solid game plan. And, you know, I, I often talk to people and they're like, oh yeah, I heard people, you know, outsourcing their customer service and it's much cheaper. And like, that's great if that fits your business. But if you're selling Ferraris or if you're selling premium <laughs> products, you need to deliver a premium service. If you're selling $1 water bottles, you should probably spend as little as you can on service, right? So it's not just about this is cheap, this is expensive, this is good, good results. It's always about looking at the business and seeing, you know, what you need to own, what, what pieces of your business is critical for your success. And just because others do it differently doesn't necessarily mean that's the right thing for you, but very much uh, like taking a very deep look and, and, and building your plan for your business and saying, you know, what, what are the things we need to own? What are the things others can do? And, and how, do we, how do we operate this the best, right? Because fe- feedback can, can work both ways, right? Sometimes you, as a business owner, you get feedback and like, oh, these other people doing it like this. Why are you not? And, you know, I'm used to doing it this way. And sometimes that might be good feedback and that might help you. But sometimes that might also be a totally different business model that you don't want to mirror, right? So yeah. it's, it's definitely important to listen to feedback. Personally, it was probably one of the, like, particular feedback on my person was one of the hardest thing I ever had to deal with. Like, it took me years to learn to say thank you when people gave me feedback instead of just defending myself and being... An asshole is probably a bit hard, but uh, instead of being <laughs> very uh, unproductive around that. Um, but yeah, I totally agree with you. When when you learn to work with feedback, uh, it, it it is super powerful, right? But but really learning to just take feedback. And what I found for me, like it takes a long time to mold it over. So when people give me feedback, my initial response is defend, defend, defend. And then after that, often months later, you know, I'm, I'm molding it over in the back of my head and I'm like, oh, that's a situation. Maybe that was he was talking about. Or that's what she was mentioning. And then, you know, gradually over time, it actually helped me change and become better. But yeah, it's not easy all the time. No, it's definitely not easy. And you have to compartmentalize it, like the negative feedback, the good feedback, and use discernment to decipher like what's best for you. Yeah, definitely. Excellent. Yeah, that's very interesting topic. Very interesting topic. So you also talk a lot about diversity. And I 
I think that's what we call one of the hot potatoes at the moment, right? And <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, I definitely have a lot of views on it as well um, because I, I, I see a lot of it. I mean, first of all, I, I've lived in Asia for many years and I'm, I'm often the odd one out um, when, when I go around the world here. Um, but, but generally, in terms of diversity and businesses and so on, right, um, unfortunately, I think sometimes the debate get very derailed and sometimes I don't think people look at it effectively. But from a business standpoint, like how do you look at diversity and how do you look at businesses winning uh, utilizing diversity? So for me, diversity is a two-part because I think about diversity and inclusion together. And then some people factor in E-squared, which are equity and equality. And whenever you think about diversity, diversity is ensuring that you have a wide range of individuals from different ethnic groups, um, different backgrounds, cross cultures, and et cetera. And that establishes your diversity. But then inclusivity is making sure those people that are diverse, are they feeling included in your organization? Do they have a rightful place? And are you preparing those individuals that don't necessarily look like you to succeed in your company? Do they Are they token holders or are you giving them a platform where they can be a suitable employee where they can accelerate in the company? They're not just seen, but they're also being heard. Because coming from 11 and a half years in oil and gas and the energy sector here in Texas, there's not a lot of African-American women in that sector. So sometimes I'm the only one in the room and you, you get you know, the misnomers, you get the microaggression comments and you get the unconscious biases where some of the older Caucasian males, they just want you to sit there, look nice and be pretty. But then you ask yourself, okay, I have the same degree that you have. I have the same credentials and et cetera. So why isn't my voice being heard? So I felt like, okay, I'm the diverse token, but you're not taking inclusion as a part of it. And I think whenever you separate the two, it's not setting your company up for success because inclusion is, okay, are you including the working mothers that are repatriating back into the organization? Are you including the people who have different sexual orientation? Are you including people who have physical disabilities as well as invisible disabilities? And there are so many different groups that need to be included in the workplace in order for your organization to thrive. Because once someone feels included, they're going to perform because they're like, hey, you know, this company really values me for me and what I have to bring to the table. But once you strip that away, then you're stripping away the power from that employee and they're no longer going to put their all into it. And sometimes people need to be motivated in order to perform. But it, but from a corporation standpoint, they're like, I'm paying you to do the job, so get the job done. But what's in it for the employee? It has to be a two-way street, and it has to be mutually beneficial, not just for the business owner, but also for the employee. And then whenever you talk about equity as well as equality, are you leveling the playing field because I feel like a lot of companies, there's a lot of favoritism, there's a lot of clicks, a lot of nepotisms, and et cetera. And they're, 
and they'll be like, oh, you went to this university, so I'm going to hire you because I'm going to look out for my people. But is that candidate the best for the best person for that job? Or are you just hiring that candidate because they went to your alma mater? And I feel like a lot of corporations tend to do that or they hire their golf buddies, or they hire their sorority um, people, sorority or fraternity people, but then they're not the the best person for the job. So then you have a group of people that are getting left out when they were the best candidate. And there has been times where I've sat on um, some of the recruiting panels where we looked at resumes and you see someone that they're the same on paper as someone else, but the the hiring committee is not going to push them through because this person over here is friends with someone that's already working with the company or whatever. And I was like, that's not right. That's, you know, that's prejudice in a sense. And then you have to tell them about those things. And those are hard discussions because people don't want to feel like you're against them. People don't want to feel like you're shaming them. So then you have to bring it to the forefront and they're like, no, that's not, that's not what I meant. And I was like, that's not what you meant, but you did it subconsciously. So if we don't have these discussions and really talk about it, then where are we going to be? Yeah, I, 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 I'm a little bit, some of it I totally agree with and some of it I'm not totally in agreement with. So, so one of the key things, and, and nepotism is a big thing in general, mm-hmm. but, but here's the thing, from a business point of view, whenever you recruit someone, your ultimate goal is to avoid failure, right? The worst thing that can happen when you're recruiting in a business, particularly in a small business, is hiring someone that doesn't work out. Because if you have only a few staff, if you hire someone that end up failing, that is a big issue, right? Why um, is it a big issue though for small businesses? Because if you have three staff and one of them isn't performing, that's 33% of your staff not performing, yeah. right? which can literally lay down a business, right? Because as a small business, you often can only just afford to hire people when you're hiring and so on, right? Um, and, and having one non-performer in a small business is definitely a big issue, right? Um, now, the, the reason why nepotism is often common is because people are more likely to know what they're getting, right? Uh, the, the way I say it from a recruitment standpoint, if I can get someone who could be a total failure or could be absolutely amazing, or I can get someone who's good, in, in most cases, I would generally pick someone who's good, right? So uh, in, in principle, from that point of view, I, I totally see what you're, what you're saying. Now, and there's totally also examples of, you know, totally incompetent people getting hired because of nepotism, and that's obviously wrong. But like the, the way I look at it is that from a business standpoint, networking is so critical because if you know someone before you hire them, they're significantly more likely to be a success. Like, you know, we, we have met on a podcast, for example, if we meet and I think you're great and, you know, you, you could fit into a certain job I had, if I would hire you because I'd already met you and I'd had good conversations with you, and I would, you compared to someone random that I've never met or never spoken to prior to an interview, I would everything else be equal, be more likely to hire you because I've already had a very good impression of you. And I'm more trusting that you could actually do what I, I'm, I need done. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And I could, 
I could validate that point because you already have a semi rapport with that individual and your personalities mesh. But what happens when you've never met the person, the person, but you take the word of someone else, someone else's characters and morals may not align with yours. So then you rely on someone else to feed that information to you. And then whenever they're in the hot seat, you're like, this is not what I want. And then you're stuck in a pickle because you don't want to sever the rapport that you have with the other person. But then you're like, okay, should I be open-minded and give this individual a chance? Yeah. So again, I look at that in a similar (laughs) fashion. So we like one of my big advice to most people is when you have top performers in your company, always ask those people for referrals because again, everything else being equal, they're more likely to know great people. Like when you're working with top performers, they want to be surrounded with top performers. So top performers are very unlikely going to recommend someone that they don't want to work with. Right Mm -hmm. now, I'm not saying just because they're recommended by one of your top performers, you should hire them, but at least filling up your hiring funnel with some of those people everything else being equal increases your chance of success, right? Now, I, I totally agree with you on the on the point in terms of diversity and so on, right? I think, uh, I mean, we've hired lots of people from, yeah, I mean, I, I probably have staff on every continent in the world and every color and every ethnicity and so on, right? Uh, even in Philippines, where I have a big outsourcing company, we, we work with the local government, uh, lots of people who had various different kind of handicaps and so on. Um, because what we saw was even though you sit in a wheelchair, if you're working online, it doesn't matter, right? So we were actually working with a lot of, um, a lot of these organizations locally in the Philippines. And the benefit we had was, you know, these people had often not been given a chance anywhere because, you know, they couldn't move around the same way and so on. And because of that, you know, they were super, super, super grateful for getting the job and they put in a lot more effort than most people did just because they were finally given a chance, right? And I think this, the same, I mean, we've hired, like in my life, I've hired lots of people that have literally zero education, right? Now, most of them haven't been able to afford it, but again, when you give them an opportunity, when you get them a chance, they might not necessarily have the same educational level, but the whole thing is you get the effort, you get the drive, you get all those things that you might not have, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, I, I think there's a lot of ways to look at it, but definitely what, what, what I always recommend when I talk to businesses is make an environment that's open and welcoming to everyone because you want to find the best candidates, right? And, and um, I think, again, like we spoke slightly before we started the podcast, but one of the things I'm struggling with is when people are trying to get equal numbers of different things. So, for example, we run an online conference in the SEO space, and, you know, we have people saying, oh, there's only eight out of 50 speakers that are women. That's that's horrible. I'm like, well, if you look at most conferences, there's like 0% women. Uh, And it's not because we don't want women in there, but we literally have an application process, right? People can apply. And if people don't apply, like, you know, we're we're not going to go force them. We're not going to go like dig them up and say, oh, we want more women or whatever in there, right? Like the, the key thing for me is making it open to everyone because you want the best quality, right? And 
it doesn't really matter where it comes from, but the whole thing is you don't want to scare people away by not being open to them. Right. So you don't want to treat people differently, either depending on their background or where they're from and so on and so forth. Right. Absolutely. You want to make so. sure it's you're open and transparent and those people apply. And if they don't apply, if they don't apply, then do you ever ask yourself, okay, did I did I make it easy? easy for people to find the information or did I market the program openly to where other people felt like they can meet the metrics in order to meet the cutoff? Do you ever ask yourself those questions whenever people ask you, okay, why, why is it this many women? Why isn't there this representation or whatever? Do you sit back and analyze that? Um, definitely make it making sure that it's open to everyone. Um, I, I think fundamentally, like with most of this stuff, we we advertise it on our website, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's obviously accessible to uh, anyone who want to find it. Um, so so our focus is is mostly that, right? Like we we generally don't sit around and like, hey, you know, how would we get more women on board? What we sit around and do is saying, how do we get the best possible speakers, right? Yeah. Um, and that that's the direction we always go down, right? Because, um, I mean, we, we could probably get some bonus points or something with, with having more women on board. But the whole thing for me is that's not the point, right? We're, we're not running the conference to have women on board. We're running the conference and want the best people. Uh, wherever they are, wherever they are in the world, whatever they're doing, and and again, like we had speakers from literally everywhere in the world. So we had people in Eastern Europe and lots of people here in like Bangladesh and India and like lots of different people in in various places. Uh, but our again, our focus is we we look at the people who apply and are interested, and you know we we judge them based on their merits, and and that's really, in my opinion, that's how we should do also with recruitment, right? Um, I've definitely seen companies where, you know, they look at the names and they're like, ooh, that's a bit of a foreign name. We don't want to talk to those people. And that's mm-hmm. often that that's obviously a, like, that's just stupid, right? Um, because you might rule out a better candidate just for the sake of it. But I think, I think the fundamental, and, and I think this is important for people to understand is that the at least from my side, the goal is quality. Like when I hire people, I want the best person. I don't want someone based on gender or sexual preference or whatever, right? Like I want the best person who can help my business because believe it or not, like as a business owner, I want my business to do the best it can, right? Um, so yeah. Absolutely. I love that you said that because I always tell people I'd rather have quality food over more food. <laughs> I'm one of those people that like eating a lot. So, <laughs> but yeah, good. I love quality food. Is what I pick. So. <laughs> oh, but that's good. That's good. I, actually, one thing. So one one thing that I found very interesting and that that annoyed me a lot was in Norway. It's it's more than ten years ago, but they basically implemented this rule saying, you know, in boardrooms you have to have at least forty percent women. Um. And that was a very interesting rule. So, so Norway have the highest level of women in the board now, which I think they're sitting around 35, 40% or so. Um, but they basically put in these rules, right? And I found that very difficult because again, like if you have to hire women, 
a woman, not because she's the most qualified, but just because she's a woman, that mm-hmm. I would find very difficult, right? Um, and I knew, I actually knew a couple, I'm from Denmark originally myself, and I knew a couple of women who was at the top layer who were already in boards, and they were like, this just totally undermined us, because before people knew we were there because of our skills and because we were the best, now people think we're just there because, you know, we're a woman. And they had to have one, right? So that was a very interesting rule. So it's definitely had the impact. They've had, they've gotten a lot more women onto Norwegian boards. Um, but I think it's one of those things. And and the problem here with diversity again is that you know you can go to the nth degree. Like you could go like, oh, should we have so many? Like gender is just one thing. But you could mm-hmm. you could set up so many diversity metric that you know you have to have five totally different people that couldn't be the same and, and, and all this stuff. And, and I definitely don't see that going going down a good path, right? Because again, as a business owner, I'm always looking for quality, right? Um, but yeah, what, what's your take on it or what, what do you think? I call that the check the box syndrome because I saw that a lot in the oil and gas and energy sector where we're going to hire this amount of people to show our shareholders that we're diverse. But then you get those people in and you just have them sit as sitting ducks and you're not really developing them to further their career. So then those candidates that you hire who definitely want to work, they want to give it their all, they end up leaving the company so they can go somewhere else to spread their wings and soar like eagles. And you're like, oh man, why did they leave? Okay, what were you doing to help them while they were in the company? And then you talk about, okay, well, we'll have these ERGs, which are employee resource groups, but you have a separate one for each race. That's dividing, that's still separation versus bringing those individuals in one group and let them voice their frustrations or let them voice whatever their concerns are collectively and let their, you know, them get that out. But it's also important that we have allies that are appointed to take those feedbacks that the people are giving out and take that you know, to upper management say, these are the common themes that we're seeing across the minorities. And this is what we need to look at in, in order to implement change. So we can ensure that these individuals don't leave the company to pursue other other opportunities, because whenever they leave, that's all the money you spent on training them. It's all the resources and etc. So you're going to spend the same amount of money going out to recruit and hire someone to train them to meet your company's mission statement, your goals and your values. Whereas the person that you had, if you would have just invested that in them a little bit more to where they felt included and not just your diverse token, then it could have been a win-win situation. So you definitely need to know how to play the game, but also give yourself a competitive advantage. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. And I I totally agree with that. I, I think I mean, again, like a lot of the people I coach and a lot of people sort of in my network is is definitely always looking for the best people, right? So they, my experience is they don't really uh, care too much where people are from, uh, gender and all that kind of stuff, right? But uh, I, I definitely, from a larger company perspective, like I've worked in big companies like IBM and Xerox and so on. Um, and yeah, I, I wouldn't actually say I've seen a lot of the, a lot of those challenges per se. 
I, I think maybe also it's it's perhaps a little bit of a bigger challenge in the U.S. than it necessarily is in Europe, where I'm from, um, because yeah, I think just naturally the diversity at least used to be less, just in, in general because everyone. Every, everyone were all locals and you know even in terms of sexual preference though there, there wasn't no that there was I think people people probably been less open about it like I remember particularly living in Scotland where you know everything was very traditional and yeah people people were that there was definitely people of different sexual orientation and so on but it, it definitely wasn't thing they went around shouting about right so yeah most of the time business owners wouldn't know necessarily. So yeah, but no, that makes a lot of sense, and I I, I like that. Um, <laughs> you you talked a lot about personal development as well. So uh, before we finish up the podcast, like any any good tips or hints or anything you you'd like to share with the audience around personal development. So for me, when I think about personal development, and if I were coaching someone in that area, it has to be personal. You have to develop yourself in your respective area, whether you are taking additional training and you don't necessarily have to have a degree in order to be successful. Because I know a lot of successful people who don't have a four-year college degree, but they get these jobs based on some of the experiences that they have, as well as some of the on-the-job training that propels them up to the level of a manager or eventually an executive, but you definitely have to cultivate it and work hard at it. Another thing I would do is continue to learn and grow. If you're in a niche area and you want to succeed in that area, are you staying ahead of the curve? Are you going out and looking at what's new in your industry? Are you looking at, am I networking with people in my industry in order to stay afloat? You can't just stay stagnant because the world is changing. And if the world is changing, we must evolve. Are you up to date on the new, the late, the newest and latest technology? AI is coming out faster than it's ever been, artificial intelligence. So it's so important that you assimilate yourself with with that because there are robots and bots out there doing the job of a person and you would never even know it was a bot. So just keep ahead of the technology curve. And another thing I would do is stop waiting on other people to validate you because if you live for man's approval, you're going to die by their rejection. So do it and do it afraid and stop worrying about the what ifs, the oh, I'm afraid or whatever, because fear to me is a mindset that will limit you to the point where it's crippling you from moving forward. So you have to definitely practice self-care as well as self-awareness because no one can tell you how to be and operate. You know what you're capable of. You know what your skills are. So enhance your strengths and stop focusing on your weaknesses because your strengths are the ones that's going to propel you. Your weaknesses is just a part of you that you're not really good at. But if you just take away that negative energy that you're spending on that and channel it over to positive energy and start to build yourself up mentally, physically, and emotionally, then you can be all the things you desire because each one of us has gifts and talents that we were uniquely created with. Totally, totally agree. And well, as a role model, again, I've, I've managed hundreds of companies, uh, hundreds of business, 
hundreds of employees, it's called, in large companies uh, with absolutely zero degrees. I probably have the equivalent of high school in the U.S., if even. Um, so, yeah, you, you definitely can. Uh, and it, the thing is, diplomas and education are often, obviously, some field, if you want to be a doctor, uh, I prefer if you go take an education first. Rather yes. Than just <laughs> Europe. But uh, in, in most fields, right, like the reason why people look at education is because education is relevant until you have experience. But if you can actually go and get actual experience and prove that you can deliver, your education become pretty irrelevant, right? So that's that's definitely my experience and, and totally agree with the personal development. I think uh, fundamentally, again, too many people are held back by society views. They're held back. Like if you have something you really want to do, go do it, go learn about it, go explore, right? Go find people. Like I always say, go find people who are doing right now what you want to be doing, you know, buy them lunch, like ask them, like most people, like even some of the busiest people in the world uh, are proud to be mentors. They're proud to share what they've learned because if, if someone, have, like I had a friend who wanted to get into jewelry making as an example. And she was like, oh, I know all these great jewelry makers and so on. And I'm like, you know, call them, talk to them, ask them, you know, if, you, if they want to spend an hour with you every month, like pay them if you have to. But like most of the time, people, when you're in a topic that you're passionate about, you love helping other people with that topic, right? And being able to give back, like people don't want to give back to people who doesn't give a shit. Like people don't want to waste their time on someone who's just like, oh yeah, okay, can you get me a job or can you do this for me? But if you're actually passionate, if you're wanting to do things, people love helping, is my experience at least. Um, and I've found just exactly as you say, go out networking, go out, meet people, find people that are doing things that you want to be doing. And the more of those people you know, the better place the world becomes and the more likely you are to actually end up doing the things you want to be doing. Yes, absolutely. Excellent. Genesis, uh, before we finish, if anyone is eager to get hold of you or find, get to know more about you, what's the best place or places to do so? So I'm on Facebook as Genesis, that's G-E-N-E-S-I-S, Amaris, A-M-A-R-I-S, last name, Kemp, K-E-M-P, I have an author page on there that talks about my book, Chocolate Drop in Corporate America is the page name. And if you're feeling bold and courageous, hit me up via email at genesisamariskemp at gmail.com. I respond to all my emails. I don't have an assistant and I definitely like the personal contact. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much for joining me today. It was a fantastic conversation. Thank you for having me. Excellent. And to the audience, thank you very much. We'll be back again next week. So thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.